You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 92 for Monday the 4th of December 2017. Today's guest is Rob Sinclair who began writing in 2009 following a promise to his wife that he could pen a can't-put-down thriller. He worked for nearly 13 years for a global accounting firm specialising in forensic fraud investigations at both national and international levels. Rob now writes full-time and is the author of the best-selling enemy series of espionage thrillers featuring embattled agent Carl Logan. Rob's James Riker series follows on from the enemy books, with the first novel, The Red Cobra, being released in April 2017 and quickly becoming an Amazon bestseller in the UK, US and Canada. The second book in the series, The Black Hornet, was released in June 2017. When Rob and I chatted for the podcast, I asked him if he'd got any kind of track record with writing before making that promise to his wife. Before I started writing thrillers, I was an accountant. So I worked for a number of years for a big accountancy firm doing fraud investigations. So my only writing was writing 200-page fraud reports, but no, nothing at all to do with, with fiction or secret agents or anything like that. That's a pretty big promise to make to somebody. I'm interested in what inspired that. You know, it's so hard to to figure it out in my own head where it all came from, to be honest, because I'd never done writing before. And I never, it wasn't a dream I'd had as a kid or, you know, as a teenager or even as a young adult. I didn't even read that many books, to be honest, but it was, I was just so frustrated with what I was reading on this holiday. That I just thought, well, surely I can do that, can't I? So I just I said to my wife, I think I'm going to write a book. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'm guessing then that, uh, like, like probably most people, you've probably been through the sort of academic writing. You've probably written essays and things like that. Horrible. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, reports it, and yeah, stuff. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and like a, my, a big part of my old job was to to write massive investigation reports, which in a way are kind of telling a story because you know we, we over a period of weeks or months we'd gather evidence and you'd have to put that together into a coherent story and explain what happened. So, I guess in some sense that's. That's quite a good background, I think, for pulling together a, a thriller novel where you're kind of weaving in different parts of a plot. So this this started in 2009, and yep. I'm interested to know how we got from that that very rash promise on holiday uh, mm-hmm. to, to actually setting pen to paper or however you started writing and beginning to get those fictional words down. Yeah. Well, it was an immediate process, really. I mean, literally, we got back from the holiday, and I don't think my wife – well, she didn't know I was going to do it. I think, you know, she just thought it was just an off-the-cuff comment. Um, but, you know, I got back from the holiday, had a full-time job, but in the evenings I just started to write out these ideas, which was basically the, the bare bones of a story. You know, I, I dived straight into it, had a, an idea of a scene in my head, which I thought would be a good opening scene for a book, and I just went ahead and started writing it into my, into my computer. I was going to say, in 2009, I always have to think about what tech we had then. So you yeah. were probably <laughs> writing into Word, were you, at that time? It was into, into Word, yeah. yeah. Well, what a great pleasure that is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I still keep it simple. I, I mean, I don't use Word because I've got a, a Mac, but I use Pages on, on my MacBook, and that's, that's, that's fine for me. I just keep it simple. 
So that first book, I always think, is is the biggest challenge because you kind of got to go from A to Z before you mm. actually know whether you could do it. So did you? You had that opening scene. That's, I remember that's how I first started writing my first book, a very strong opening scene. But then mm-hmm. did you have an idea of where you were going after that scene? To be honest, no. I, so I, that scene was something that I just kept playing over and over my head in the days before I started writing it. And so I had a really good idea of exactly what that scene was going to look like, almost in a cinematic sense. Um, so I spent you know a few days doing that. And to be honest, just the process of writing that out was enough to kind of keep me going and then soon after that I probably I think I had the idea of what the twist at the end was going to be and then it was a case of writing the 100,000 words in between which kind of I think I always find the more I write the more those ideas come and you kind of you start to see where you can go off into different areas and where you can kind of get those the red herrings and the, the plot twists in there's they, they kind of come to me as I'm writing so were you shooting for a th- hundred thousand words when you started writing uh, I was shooting for 80,000, actually, but I think I, I, I overshot it, so I, did, I ended up doing over 100,000. Now, most people on a first book, they would actually struggle to get to that, so you must have been in pretty good flow to get to that. Yeah, good flow. I always get in good flow. I think I waffle a lot, so yeah, my, my first drafts always tend to be you know, reduced by the time they, they get, get come to print, just because I take out a lot of the, the gump. But yeah, I always, yeah, when I'm in a writing mode, I can just... You know, I can just write and write and keep on going, really. And where were you in terms of the genre that you were aiming for in your head? Did you know where you were, what you were writing to? Yeah, absolutely, because I think that, you know, I've got a very keen area of interest in kind of action, action-based thrillers. So that was, that was exactly what I was aiming for. And those are the types of books that I was reading then, and that was the kind of, you know, kind of books that I was trying to emulate. So, you know, people ask me who my, my character is, is based off, and he's, I mean, he's not based off anybody in particular, but... You know, if I was to pick two characters who he's most similar to, I'd say he's a mix between kind of your Jack Reacher and Jason Bourne. Um, and it was that style of book that I was trying to write. So when you'd written the the first draft of the book, what kind of shape was it in? How how were you feeling about it at that stage? You know, I was feeling massively positive. I was com- obviously completely, um, I guess, blind to the industry. I didn't know anything about the industry at all. I'd never worked in publishing. I'd never met anybody in publishing i didn't even know what to do with the manuscript to be honest i you know i let my wife read it she she thought it was okay i had no kind of professional editing help and you know blindly i thought this is good it's good enough you know i'm a young guy anyway i'm 20 what how old was then 26 27 years old you know even if it's not perfect surely somebody's going to see my potential so i you know i think within a couple of days me finishing that first draft i started sending it off to agents and publishers which is a very naive thing for me to do back then, but that's that's the kind of I guess that's the kind of guy I am. I like to jump into things head first. I'm assuming then you did the the, the standard artists and writers yearbook. You you went through and found the right people, or did you just did you wing it even more than that? Oh, I winged it even more. That I was just use Google. Just went through, just looking at agents. Um, I was trying, to, you know, I was trying to find agents who at least had clients who were similar to my style of writing. So I didn't just completely wing it, but yeah, I sent it off to. I don't know how many agents initially, 30 or 40 agents maybe. Um, obviously got compl- rejected off every single one of them because really the book wasn't good enough back then. I didn't know that to start with. But, um, you know, that's that was a big first important lesson for me really that you can't jump too soon with these sorts of things. What kind of feedback were you getting in those early days? Um, a lot of it was the very blank 
feedback you get from a lot of agents. So it's just a very simple, no, thank you. There were one or two agents who gave me a bit more positive feedback saying that, you know, the, the basis of the story was sound, a good central character, but you need work on plotting and characterization and settings and all sorts of things like that. So there was a lot of basics I was getting wrong, even though the bare bones of the story was decent. How did you receive that feedback at the time? Um, badly in the sense that it was frustrating, but also very demoralizing. So like I said, I, I had no experience of the industry. I didn't know. I mean, people say it's tough, but then you always think, you know, well, is mine not good enough? You should, you know, I, I thought it was good enough. Um, so it's, it, it was more demoralizing than anything else because I had these great expectations that I was going to suddenly break through into this career. And then within, you know, a few months, it was like, well, what do I do now? You know, I've spent a few months querying agents and I've really got nowhere. Is, was it just a pipe dream which I need to put to bed now or do I do something different? You know, do, I, I, do I try some, do something different with it? Can I look at the time scale too? So you, you made that promise to your wife in 2009. I'm interested to yeah. know how long it took you to write that first book and then how long it took you to get to that stage where you'd pretty well got all the replies back from the agents and you were thinking, right, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah, well, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of an ongoing process, I think. So, you know, I probably wrote the book relatively quickly. So I think it was with, within, you know, maybe maybe three or four months, which at the time I was working full time. So that was, you know, that was evenings and weekends. So it's quite, I think that's quite a quick, quick first draft. Um, but then it was, it was probably a period of another six, maybe even 12 months after that, that I was querying agents and still updating the story as I went along. Um, and then it was sometime after that, probably, you're probably looking at close to two years since I first started it when I kind of had the realization it's not going to work like this. I either need to stop it altogether or do something drastically different. And the, the, the something drastically different was to, first of all, get professional editing help. Uh, you know, at this stage, two years on, I still hadn't had any professional input into the book. I had, my mum and dad had read it as well. But they, they still do just kind of say, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so I, I was really, I was looking for somebody to actually tell me what was going wrong with it yes. <laughs> rather than to give me the, the kind of the, the praise. And that was, you know, I'd say that's still one of the best decisions of my career, I guess, is is doing that. I should have done it earlier, um, but, but that really kind of opened my eyes to what I was doing wrong, and really it made the book 10 times better than, it, than what it was. I'll, I'll delve into that a little bit in a moment or two. What I wanted to ask you before I do that is, were you writing another book while all this was going on, or did you write the first one and you were waiting then? I did write a bit of it because I'd kind of got the bug, which was making it even more kind of frustrating and depressing at the time because I was I loved writing by that point already. You know, even though I was I wasn't getting anywhere with it necessarily, I'd enjoyed the process so much of doing that first book, and I had a great idea for the follow-on story that I had started to write the second book as well. And I got to about halfway through that second book before I kind of put it to the side and thought, I'm not going to do any more of that until I've properly done that first one, until I've got it into the best shape it can be. And and then give it another go again. When did the penny drop that perhaps you needed to to get that professional editing help with that first book? Um, it was just it was when I realised that it wasn't going to happen if I didn't. So I knew something needed to change, and it was kind of well, I need to do something. And the, and the decision really was, it doesn't look like it's going to get published by an agent 
know, through an agent with a traditional publisher. So therefore, self-publishing is probably what I'm going to aim for because I didn't want to give it up. The decision was give up or not. And I decided not to give up. But I, but I knew that if I was going to self-publish it, it needed to have that professional eye over it. So it was, it was really those two things came together. I said, well, I'm going to have to self-publish this. But first thing first, I need to get it properly edited. The other thing that always amuses me when I'm, I'm talking to authors is that when you were self-publishing in 2009, 2010, it makes you something of a self-publishing old boy in many respects. You've got a lot of miles on the clock. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it, it didn't come out until 2014, so it was a long process, but yeah. Um, I'm just interested in what self-publishing looked like um, then, because I, I'm guessing probably around that it was still had a bit of a stigma to it, didn't it, you know, uh, at that time? Well, I think it still does in some respects, but... Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely did then, and which is why it was quite a tough decision. Do I give up or do I self-publish? Because you know, self-publishing was going to cost me money. So you know, I was putting, I was putting money into something which might never have you know come to fruition, um, or I could just walk away from it. So not only was there a stigma about it, but it was also, do I want to make that personal financial investment, that t- investment of time for something which, in all likelihood, probably won't work because it doesn't work for for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, there was there is a lot of stigma about self-publishing. What then did your strategy entail at that point when you decided to get some some editing? Were you going you know structural? Were you proofreading? What what did it look like? And where did you find your editor? Again, it was uh, just searching on the internet. Um, I had quite a long look, find looking at different people, their backgrounds, um, and the the editor I chose in the end was partly due to uh, a background which was in fiction editing. And partly because she you know, she worked for some big publishing houses, but I'll be honest, it was also because she was she charged a reasonable price. Um, you know, there was a vast range of, of prices for editing. I didn't go with the cheapest, but I didn't go with the the most expensive either because it was all the at that stage it was a cost management situation as well. And when that book came back, then uh, 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 you know, having having had all those rejections, what mm. what did it look like? How much had been changed? Well, it was a development edit, so it was you know it was an in-depth edit at that point. It was looking at the the overall plot, the style of the writing, the the characters, the settings, you know, all the the actual the detail of the the story. And it was you know I'll I'll be quite honest with you, it, it, some people might have thought it was brutal because she she tore it apart in many respects. But I never felt bad about it because that's actually what I knew I needed. So when it came back and I had all the you know a thousand comments going through the the manuscript. I was quite pleased because I, I finally felt like she had the answers for me. Um, so it was a tough process and it went through two or three more iterations before we, we kind of got to the stage of doing copy editing and proofreads. But, you know, it was, it was certainly well worth it. How do you manage the feedback that you don't agree with? Um, you know, there's very few things I don't disagree with. Um, certainly, I've never had a big, I've never had a contentious issue. There's lots of things which I look at where my editor, because I've used the same editor now for six books, and there's lots of things where she says she doesn't like a particular, a particular, I don't know, paragraph or a particular comment or a particular something quite small. And most of the times I'll just go with her. I kind of, I've, I've come to trust her judgment. Um, so even though there's something that I was, I was happy with, I don't really, I've, I've, I can't think of any situation where I've kind of completely ignored her advice. And are you are you are you willing to share the details of your editor? I have a feeling I might know who it is actually. Yes, her name's Charlie Wilson. Uh, her website's the Book Specialist, and uh, yeah, I've, I've used her for for all of my books so far. Now, I always think that um, 
relationship is a really important thing with an editor. That um, what, what you said there, that you got loads of uh, feedback on the first book, but if you don't feel that's kind of given with the intention of making the book better rather than criticising you, I think it'd be quite hard mm. to take. So how, how much, how important has relationship been for you in that process? It's been good. I mean, I've never met Charlie in person. It's always been by, via computer. Um, but like I say, after that first experience, I kind of, I felt like a truster after that because I knew that the book was a better book with her input. So um, I've never taken what she said as criticism. And I, I guess that's partly her manner as well. That she doesn't, even when she changes something or says something should be changed, it, it's, it's done in a, a way which explains why. Um, so I've never felt that she's kind of criticising the work, if you know what I mean. And I'm guessing, yeah, and in that environment, you can learn and develop as a writer too. Well, absolutely, yeah, and, and I have. So, you know, that if you compare that first book, when that came back from the edit, the amount of changes and suggestions in there compared to the last one I sent her, it's a huge difference because a lot of the things that she's telling me, I've picked up on and I don't, I don't make the same mistakes as much now. I do still obviously make a lot of mistakes when I'm writing um, a first draft, but, you know, nowhere near as many as I used to. So having got that first script shipshape, what did the uh, self-publishing process look for you at that time? Did you do it yourself or did you did you farm it out to somebody else to do? Uh, well, that was the decision, wasn't it? And and I actually, I took the decision initially to farm it out to somebody because I wanted to try and give myself the best possible chance of it succeeding. And I... I didn't know what I was doing in the same way. I didn't know what I was doing when I started writing. You know, I didn't know how to set up a KDP account. I didn't know how to set up an account with all the other retailers. I didn't know how to think it started with advertising it. Um, so I, I did go with a company who I spent several thousand pounds with to try and to do the publishing, but also to help market it. Um, and that didn't work out, I would say. But it was at the time what I felt I needed to do. With hindsight, I would... I would certainly not recommend that, that route to to other people unless they are certain they know of the risks of doing that. You know, it's it can be money down the drain effectively. Now, I, my my little pound signs are going here, and I'm thinking about the edit that you went through, and I'm thinking about <laughs> the time that's gone into this book, and I'm thinking about the couple yeah. of thousand pounds you just mentioned. You're in for about four or five thousand now, aren't you, with this book? Oh no, it, it, I would say it was even more than that. By the time that that, that book got published, with editing costs, proofreading. Um, websites um, and then the marketing as well publishing and marketing you're probably close to 10,000 I would have thought by that point wow. my first book wow that, that 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 now that is grit determination and commitment it was you? yeah well that was the decision I made do I give up or do I put everything I've got into this <laughs> I went with the put everything I've got into this um, I'm not saying that was money well spent I think I've, I've obviously I have made that back over time but you know for a long time it looked like that was just money I'd never get back again so you know it was it was all a risk um, and a lot of it didn't pay off I would say initially. I think that's an interesting dilemma though and I think many self-published authors probably find themselves there they know they've got to get a decent cover they know they've got to do the edit otherwise it's not going to sell and, and, and the marketing yet yet you, you you kind of get deeper and deeper in and and if the book's still not selling and bringing in a decent income I mean you, you, mm. you've got you know you had your wife in this environment you, you've kind of got to justify the fact that we're not going on holiday this year and things like that <laughs> uh, all yeah. on, on what's quite a big punt really isn't it oh it was a punt yeah and uh, you know my wife too is great she backed me all the way through this she knew I was passionate about it and I think you know I think she believed in me 
Um, she she knew the book was good, and the feedback I'd had from everybody by that point was good. So it's kind of like, do I want to try it on my own? You know, spend spend nothing on it apart from the editing and just do it all on my own, or do I want to actually try and make something of it? And I thought, if the more I spent, then the more chance I had of succeeding. This is a pretty uh, bruising start to a career. I, I was really interested. In it this. was, I mean, yeah. When I, when, I, when, I, when I was digging onto your blog, I thought, oh, there's a great story to tell here because this is, <laughs> well, this, but this is what this podcast focuses on, you see, because I think, <laughs> I think there's always this um, impression that when you're doing really, really well, people feel like you've come out of nowhere. And I think it's <laughs> really important to dig into these, this difficult bit and the um, tenacity that you need. To, oh yeah, to absolutely. reach the success, you know. So yeah, because um, I think it makes the success even more powerful when you when you achieve. Yeah, it. Um, and I mean, you know, going back to those first few months, even a year after I'd published that first book, you know, my, my first few royalty statements were, you know, I was, I was picking up less than hundred pounds a month, even even after I spent all that money. So even once the book, the book came out, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't an overnight success. It took a lot of a lot of effort and commitment after that as well before it eventually took off having got the the book ship shape were, mm-hmm. were you then tempted to try it via the traditional route again i didn't until um when did i try it again i'm trying to remember now i think it was only after the second book had come out and things had started to pick up because it was a it was a few months after the second book had come out when i suddenly had a massive uptick in sales and then before the third book came out, I started to go back to some of the original agents again, saying, you know, this is, remember me, this, these, these are two books that have been doing really well. The third book's coming out in, or is ready to come out if you want to consider representing me. Um, so I did, I did start to go through that process again at that point before, before that third book came out. And with the second book, it, having having gone through this long uh, process, mm-hmm. y- I think you refine and get better every book that you do. So, so what did your yeah. refine process look like for book two? Yeah, for book two, it was still a bit of a not a hit and miss process, but I was still getting into the swing of things. So, I don't, like I said, I'd already written half of that way back when before before book one came out. Um, so that that was still a bit of a you know going back and forth with it. So. I can't remember when I finished that one. Actually, I think it was probably when I when I got into the third book that I started to actually find a kind of a routine to my writing in terms of you know, how many words I aim for a day, what how I how I try and set a analyze a plot, how I kind of you know record points of view and chapter lengths and keep a keep an eye on the timeline and things like that. So it was probably the third book when I first started to do that properly. And what about the second edit? Was that as bruising as the first? Not at all, no. I think the first one was the most bruising um, and then have been slightly less bruising each time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing, though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good thing, yeah. (laughs) So so it was ready to get um, uh, uh, self-published a lot sooner. Um, And then you you said you didn't feel that the first experience when you went through a third party worked brilliantly Mm. for you. So second book... Were you doing it yourself at that stage? No. So what what I did for the second book was thought, well, maybe it was because I didn't use the right people last time. So should I use some different people for the second book? So what I actually did for the second book was spend even more money. So I found a a professional publishing, not a a company. The first company I used was one who does 
all self-published um, activities, I'd say. So they do editing, they do proofreading, they do websites, they do the publishing, but they do marketing as well. So a bit of a one-shop for all, which I didn't think was very... I didn't think they were particularly specialists in any of those areas. So for the second one, I tried to find a, a very specific publishing PR company, which was very expensive. And, you know, they are actually a very good PR company. They're, they're, I think they do a fantastic job for a lot of their authors. I think the problem that they had with me was that I was an unknown and I was a self-published author who had a lot of books. So not a lot of books. who had, you know, my books are available on the internet. I didn't have kind of paperbacks in shops. And I think a lot of their marketing was aimed at the traditional route. So aimed into newspapers, aimed for um, people who are going to bookshops, basically. So it didn't really, it didn't work out as it, as it, as I hoped it would. Had um, self-publishing for you meant getting create space paperbacks, or maybe you went Ingram, I don't know. Had you got paperbacks? Yeah, we had paperbacks, print on demand, which I still have print on demand paperbacks. Um, but it, it just wasn't, it, it, yeah, that, that marketing firm didn't really understand how to market a, a self-published startup. They were very good at marketing established traditional authors. You, you said that things, or you, you felt like you started to get traction with book two. I'm just interested mm. in, in what changed. So what changed was um, when I started to just figure out how to do things by myself. So, you know, by the time the second book came out, I was doing a lot of promotions on um, prize promotion websites. So things like BookBub and um, BookSense and Fussy Librarian, there's, there's all sorts of them. There's, 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 there's loads of them out there um, where you advertise or they advertise for you to their subscriber list. Um, I'd done a couple of these promotions before with some of the smaller companies and they, they could charge you between $10 and $100 for a promotion just to, to let people know when you've got a 99p sale. But then I got a, a promotion with BookBub, who's the biggest of all those companies, who their subscriber list I think is well into the millions. And um, it was a free promotion for my first book, Dance with the Enemy. And overnight, it was the first free promotion I'd ever done, and overnight that I got something like 30,000 downloads, which obviously is not paid for, but the, the, the follow-through sales onto the second book were fantastic. And after the free promotion on Dance with the Enemy ended, all of a sudden my books were riding high in the charts in the US and in the UK. It was just from that one promotion from BookBub, and that was really what kick-started everything. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that because I've just landed my first book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After yeah. a long time of trying. So um, I'm keeping yeah. my fingers crossed because a lot of people have told me that the book bub seems to be the point of ignition just simply because you're exposed to so yeah. many targeted readers. It was for me. Yeah. It doesn't work out as well for everybody. It doesn't work out the same for the same person each time as well either. So there's, there's always things a bit of luck with this isn't there and timing and for me that time the promotion just really worked and yeah something kicked in with amazon's algorithms amazon picked it up and then you know it just it's it, for some reason they, the book stuck in the chart for in the charts for quite a few weeks after that and um, you know not, not by this point it was, certainly wasn't in the top 100 anywhere but you know it was it was starting to tick along at a, a rate which was actually making me some some money and the other thing that you've alluded to there is that uh, the power of writing in series is an indie author. Absolutely. I think that is absolutely key. You know, that's what I've always noticed with my books is that 
whenever I do a promotion on one book, I now get a lot of immediate follow through on all of the books. And that's that's been a huge contributor to, to what's happened, really, because at any, any point in time, whichever book I decide to promote, there's always that the kind of pick up with all the other books as well. Now, uh, so at this point, we've got we're getting some traction at last. So I, I bet you're breathing a huge sigh of relief at that stage, Joe. Absolutely, yeah. So that was kind of I was starting to think I might actually make the money back now. I might not be looking at a lost position. So yeah. And by the time the third book came out, you know, I was starting to think, can I actually, you know, actually, can I make something out of this? Can this be kind of my career? And it was it was before the third book came out, which I actually did stop stop working. Um which was, I guess, before it was fully sustainable. But I just thought, I think I can do this, and I want to go at it kind of 100%. So I want to, you know, I want to be a full-time writer, so why not just just be a full-time writer? So I I ditched the job before I'd even published the third book and then just went for it. But that that can't be just on the strength of one book book, can it? (laughs) Uh, It was two book books by then, I think. I think I had a second one six months later, and things were, yeah... I certainly wasn't. Um, I wasn't making anywhere near as much money as my job did at that point. I, mean, I, I left a very good job behind, but I just felt like if it kept on going and the way it was going, then I could definitely make it work. But I needed to do it full time. You know, I couldn't. There was no point in trying to pretend that I could cram it all into, you know, evenings or weekends. So at that point, I'd actually started working part time just to try and keep on top of it. But even two days a week doing it simply wasn't enough. I couldn't do writing. And marketing in two days a week, I had to do it full time. So you had you had two bu- bu- bubs there, and and mm-hmm. so they they give you massive massive impetus. I mean, I've noticed certainly with uh, free books is 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 the biggest I've gone so far. I noticed that I'll get a kick on sales for about three months, even with a free booksy, which is much yeah, smaller. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and but but so you've got that kick that you always get when you do a big promo uh, on the mm-hmm. sales. Um, what then? How are you supporting that uh, success with? Um, with marketing at the time, what were you doing to keep that going? At the time, there wasn't much because I think this was before I'd even started doing things like Facebook ads, which was probably only when the third book came out. I think I started that. Um, so that was, I mean, that was really it at the time. But I was doing those kind of promotions every month or two. So you know, I had two books out, and I was just swapping the promotions around. So I do, you know, one month I'd promote Dance with the Enemy for 99p, the next month I'd promote Rise of the Enemy for 99p. And it was just it was just doing a constant cycle of that. And how, how did you find the book two promos? Uh, are they standalones, presumably, are they? What, sorry, say again? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering how you found promoting uh, book two in a series. Uh, they are, because I always think book two is slightly harder. Uh, no, to be honest, I found it hasn't made much difference. Um, I don't know if that's the same for everybody or not, but you know, when I do a promotion on Rise of the Enemy or Hunt for the Enemy with one of these promotion websites, I get just as good a return as I would if I promoted book one. They must be standalones then. They can't be. I mean, I'm just wondering about the bridging elements between the books. Can you can you read them you know, on their own? It doesn't matter what order you read them in. You can read them. I mean, I would, I would always recommend people read them in order, but you can, they can kind of be read standalone. Um, but I think because... You know, at any one promotion, I think at least fifty percent of people who pick up the promoted book pick up the other books in the series anyway. Immediately, you know, you see that immediate flow through. So people are picking up the whole series in one go. At this stage, then, with three books out, 
you're getting some traction. We're doing some things with Amazon. It's getting exciting now. You could almost yep. taste it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you're almost there. You then went and wrote a standalone after that. I did, yeah. Well, yeah. Once um, Hunt for the Enemy had come out, the third book, uh, which I didn't, I didn't pay for any third party on that. I did all the advertising myself on that. On um, by that point, I did start to use Facebook ads as well, which were very powerful. Um, and that, you know, once again, that just kind of things kind of went up a notch with the third book, particularly in America. I hit a real sweet spot on in, on Amazon in America, which kept going for a number of months for all three books, um, which was really great. And that, and that was a point where I kind of thought, yeah, this is. Is actually going to work out for me and you know, the three books i've written had i'd always intended to do that trilogy so i knew where uh, i knew quite soon after i'd done this the first book where the that kind of trilogy would go to and it wasn't the end of the character but i knew it was kind of a good break point and i don't know why but i just had this this idea for the, the standalone novel and i just yeah commercially commercial wise it probably wasn't the best the most sensible thing to do, the most sensible thing would have been to do kind of book four straight away, a follow on to the, th- the first three. But I had the idea, so I just went with it. But at this point, this is where Bloodhound Books came along. Yeah, which was completely by chance. So um, we were at Crime Fest in Bristol last, it was only last year, 2016. And I'd never met them before, but I'd started to to hear about them on, on the internet. You know, I'd been keeping my eyes on, the Amazon charts, as I always do, and I'd noticed that there were two or three new independent publishers who were quite regularly getting books high up into the Amazon charts. And but I, I just by chance met the the owners of Bloodhound at Crimefest and got chatting to them over a couple of beers and mentioned to them that I had this fourth book, which I was planning on self-publishing, but if they wanted to take a look at it, they could. And they, they sounded very interested in that, so I sent it to them, and they, they liked it, and they offered me a contract for it. So, yeah. Now, Bloodhound are um, a new kind of breed of publisher, I think. Very, yeah. very interesting that they. I mean, I know they're predominantly shifting ebooks, but they do print on mm-hmm. demand as well. Yeah. But the royalties are higher, uh, which is also very good, uh, and they take a lot of the strain with the marketing as well. So, it, yeah. in many ways, it's kind of like the holy grail in that respect for authors. I think. I think it's the you know it's a great area of the market to be working in. You can see why they've had a lot of immediate success because they're doing what, if you look at the successful self-publishers and what they're doing, Bloodhounds are doing that for other people. Yeah, so they've, they've got 50 authors who they're doing what the successful self-publishers are doing, um, which is what is kind of what I've been talking about, you know, your book bubs, your Facebook ads, social media. You know, those are the areas you need to be in if you want to sell ebooks. And they've got a very good formula, Bloodhound, which is which is doing that. And that helped you to become an Amazon UK top fifty bestseller after its release, which was yeah, it did. amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so presumably at this stage, you're now you now know you could do it, do you? You know, you've left the job. Um, you know that you can make it work now. Yeah, things are going very well by that point. So I think when. Um, when Dark Fragments came out, which was only last November, so it's not quite a year, I'd already written the next book by then, The Red Cobra, which was a follow-on to the Enemy series. Um, and it was it was last November, just a couple of weeks after Dark Fragments had come out, I was thinking, do I go alone again for the Red, Red Cobra and the follow-ons? Because I knew, again, I was going to do three books. Or should I try and work with Bloodhound if they want that, if they want that series as well? And so it was just a couple of weeks after Dark Fragments came out, I sent the Red Cobra over to Bloodhound 
and they quite quickly said, yeah, we'd love that series as well. So I signed on for another three books with them. What does then the process look like now you're working with uh, Bloodhounds? You know, going from going to, to pretty well outsourcing most of it to doing it all yourself to Bloodhound. Yeah. How, how does writing a book now look to, for you? It's it's very similar. So for those for all four books which I've done with Bloodhound, the, the last one, one of those is going to come out in, in a few weeks' time. Um, I still go through exactly the same drafting process myself. Um, you know, all the ideas in mind. It's not I haven't kind of gone into a collaborative relationship with them so i you know, i do all the pl- all the books myself i still use the same editor just because i've come to a point where i really trust her and i know that she she kind of knows my character as well so i've still paid for that before i send the books to bloodhound and then bloodhound do the kind of final editing and proofreading and then kind of take on the publishing and, and marketing of it as well and i, and I do still do some marketing myself just because I, I i kind of enjoy it it's nice to be on top of things um I, you know, I still pay for my own facebook ads every now and then just because i kind of know how to do it <laughs> but yeah it, it just feels it's just nice to have somebody else doing it for you as well and to have a bit it feels like less of a burden now knowing that there's somebody else who's invested into the, the process as well the enemy series i assume then stays yours and and, and that must get a a, a knock yeah. on from what you're doing with bloodhound yeah, it does absolutely. Yeah, so you know the, the enemy books are still going, still going well. Every time a new book comes out with Bloodhound, and you know those, those books shoot up into the charts, the, the enemy series all gets a good, a good, a good bump up as well. So it's all been very positive. I'm interested. I've, I've heard of a, uh, or I know a couple of authors who've had book bubs, and then um, it, it's kind of died down after the book bub. And mm-hmm. I think I think this this concept for indie authors of sustainability. At what point is yeah. it sustainable, and I can leave my job and not have to go back to it? I'm, I'm interested yeah. <laughs> in, in how we kind of judge that point. I think it's, it's got to come down to the individual and how much risk you're willing to take. Now, like I said, I, I left a job that was paying a lot of money, and I left it at a time when I wasn't earning that much money from the books. You know, I was probably earning enough to, to scrape by, you know, kind of minimum wage level, which um, would, would be, I guess, a lot of authors probably don't earn that much. You know, you look at statistics that I think the survey I saw said that most authors earn or the average earnings for an author in the UK, something like £11,000 a year. Um, you know, so I left my job when I was probably around that level. But I, I felt that I could do it and I felt I could make it work for me. And so it was really just having that that faith in myself, but also be, being willing to take that risk. A lot of authors would say uh, they wouldn't be prepared to take that risk. I think a lot of authors would also say, I mean, you were keeping a job down when you started this. Uh, they talk about the time management element mm-hmm. of it as, as well. What, what's your view on that? Because you've clearly managed to squeeze this into a, a busy life as well. Yeah, and that was another reason why I knew something had to give. So we couldn't, I couldn't have carried on what I was doing. So initially, you know, I was working full time when I was trying to do the writing. By the time, yeah, the second book had come out, I was working three days a week because you know I knew I wanted to take the writing seriously, but financially I wasn't quite sure I could make that jump. Um, but like I said, I, I knew that even you know working three days a week and trying to cram writing into those two days plus weekends and evenings, you know, and I've got two kids as well. There just, there just simply wasn't enough time to do everything I wanted to do. So I had to do something drastic had to happen. And that was either stopping the writing or stopping working in that job. 
Yeah, and, and you chose, made the right decision, uh, fortunately. Which is oh, absolutely, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> it, it feels like that you're now, um, I know you wrote that first draft of the first book very fast in, in three to four months, you said. Yeah. But it, it feels like you're you're rattling them out now to me uh, at, a, at a much faster rate <laughs> of knots. D- does it to you, you know, what's, what, what's the process like now? How long is it taking you to get the books done? I think, it, yeah, it certainly has sped up. I think I had a, a very good year in terms of both book sales but also just creativity i don't know if i'll always be like that but you know i don't know it just seemed everything seemed to go a bit into overdrive i think because i suddenly was had all this time um you know i went from doing it two days a week to doing it four days a week initially because i was looking after one of my younger sons on one day and then suddenly i was doing it five days a week and that five days a week i just realized actually how much time i had to do writing so i just i just started going into overdrive and i think i wrote four books last year um which i'm not sure is sustainable but i had the ideas and i had the time to do it so i just kept on writing basically what what does a, a full-time writing day look like for you now then what's your a full-time writing like? day for me is um you know when i'm in the drafting mode i aim for four thousand words a day and I, I generally find that is achievable um as long as i've got the idea of what i want to do for that day and that, that, that probably t- takes me, if I started writing at nine o'clock when the kids go to school, I, could, I, I normally bash through 4,000 words by the early afternoon, and, you know, by like two or three o'clock. And that's, it doesn't sound like a massively long day, but when you're I mean, drafting mode, that's a, it feels taxing. You, know, you, you feel quite brain dead after you've been creating for that number of hours. And that's really a writing day for me is sort of five or six hours of of just writing as fast as I can and then a quick read through after that. And, you know, my process now is, is quite refined in that I do that you know, 4,000 words a day. It takes me you know, three to four weeks to do a first draft. And I've managed to do that for the last um, two or th- two books. I did, I did them in less than a month for the very first draft. And those are, they're, to be honest, they're rough drafts. You wouldn't, I wouldn't want many people to read those drafts. But that's that's kind of me coming up with the story in a way. It's almost my plotting. The story is you know is doing is doing that initial draft. So you're you're banging them out at a rate of knots now. I haven't asked you about um, covers now. I, I know uh, uh, with Bloodhound the covers. Well, I say they're taken care of. I know you have a choice with them. I just yeah. wanted to know how you did those early covers. That was the other thing I didn't mention to you. Yeah, well, I actually um, I swapped the covers as well. So I initially the, the company who initially published the Enemy series for me did the covers but then when last year i am um, i republished those on my own kdp account on my own kindle account and at that point i paid for uh, some new covers to be done again just somebody i'd found on the internet um which was a, a relatively small investment actually which had a i think it had quite a big impact on the books because by that point the books had been out the first one had been out for two and a bit years and it was nice just to have a it felt like they had a new lease of life and actually, I did notice uh, an uptake in, in sales just from doing that. So people who have had a series out for sort of two, three, four years, it's, it's quite a good thing to think about doing. Have you got to the stage yet where you've uh, taken a, a, a sigh of relief and, and you kind of know you're in this now for the long term? Do you feel secure in that now? Yes and no. I think yes in that I, I want to be in this for the long term. Um and it feels like you know things things couldn't have gone better in the last twelve months. You know, since Dark Fragments came out last November, I'll have 
you know, I've had four books out this year and everything they've all done well. Um, so everything has looked brilliant. And if I had every, every year was like this year, I would be a very happy man. But I guess the thing with, with writing and publishing is you never quite know what's going to come next. And so I, I, I do want to be in this for a long term, but that all depends on if I can keep on thinking of ideas, I guess. I noticed also when reading through your online material that you've 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 created as a new aspiration now some sc- uh, screenwriting. So um, yeah, and right at the beginning of this interview, you said that that first scene of the first book was cinematic in your mind. So I, I'm, I'm mm. guessing this is how you think when you write, and this is where you want to go with the books. It is absolutely, and um, you know, I've always been more of a, a TV and film watcher than I've been a reader, um, and that, that's even the case now. You know, in my downtime now particularly after a day of writing or editing, I, I, very, I very rarely turn to a book. I normally turn to the TV. And so I've always had that interest in film. And you know, when I'm thinking of books, I think I do, uh, I guess everybody visualises stories when they read them. But for me, it's almost like they play out more like a movie. So I can imagine them as, you know, I, I write the books as scenes almost, as opposed to uh, like a traditional book. I think a lot of people have said that, that the, they kind of get a picture of the scene when they're reading my books. And it's, it, I think it does come from that, that. I write them almost like a movie. So for me, it was always a, a next step. I'd never, again, I'd never written a screenplay and having done it now, I've, I've, I've done one, I've done the very first book and, and rewritten that as a screenplay. It is a very different process to writing a book. You know, it's a very rigid process. It's very strict in terms of how you do it and how you format it. Um, so that's all been a very big learning curve as well. But it is actually, it's a very, it's an exciting process. Um, it's challenging, but it's, yeah, I think it's it's something which I want to try and keep going with and see if I can make anything out of that as well. You, you've mentioned a couple of times during the interview that you, you get on or you seem to get on very well with Facebook ads. Um, they, they, they seem to work well for you. You feel like you've got a good grasp of them. Did you go, yeah. where, where did you learn that? You're not a, a, are you a Mark Dawson graduate or, or did you learn it yourself? It was a bit of both. So, um, like with everything I've done in this career, I was, you know, went into it with open eyes, with no experience, and just kind of made it up as I went along. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm probably the most impatient person you've ever met. So I, I have no time for learning the ropes. I kind of just throw myself in right at the deep end on anything I do, which is isn't always the most sensible thing to do. But you know, with with Facebook ads, I I spend probably half an hour to an hour looking at Mark Dawson's. Uh, freebie course so i never i never went on the full course i just looked at the very the very basics and then i just went went for it and just set up my own ads i used um fiverr.com to do some images for me which is a great website for people who are self-publishing there's all sorts of services on there which you can get for a very good price i paid five dollars for some images for facebook ads and then just started doing it and again you know i think if you listen to mark and listen to most sensible people, they would tell you to take your time with it and to do split testing and you know monitor your budgets and don't go too spend too much too fast. But I've never been. <laughs> I think I kind of kind of did the opposite, and I thought, well, I've you know I've got promotion, promotions coming up. I don't really want to spend five dollars a day. I just want to spend as much as I can, get it in front of as many eyes as I possibly can, and see what happens. So, you know, I, I was spending quite a lot on Facebook ads. Uh, trying to get good returns still in terms of click-throughs, but you know, just trying to get in front of many as many eyes as I possibly could when when I had promotions on. 
Which has worked out to varying degrees of success, I'd say. Now, when did you start to build an email list? When did you realise that that was something you needed to do? Um, from day one, really. So my, my website was set up when my, when my very first book came out. And it, there was always the kind of link on there to, to for, for people to sign up to the email list. And I've, I've done various promotions over time. I've never done the... I've never offered free books for people to sign up. Um, and I've never promoted the sign up. So it's, it's not as big an email list as a lot of kind of self-published writers have. I mean, I've always believed that I'd rather have the, the sale, the book sale, rather than the email address, which I know a lot of people would argue against that. But given I write in a series, I always think if I get one book sale, then that for me can quite often mean two, three, four, five, even six sales because people will read, will read through. Um, which to me is more more rewarding than having an email address to send something to. So you know, I do have an email subscriber list, which which grows quite nicely, just through you know just organically. To be honest, you've had one heck of a journey to reach this success, and uh, I'm sure you must have been where many independent authors are um, a lot of the time just thinking, well, is it time to call this quit? Should I just get on with a day job and forget it? It's not going to fire for me. Um, having been through that in a very, very grueling way, um, what would you say to authors who are in that spot that you were in? I think just keep going. If, if, if you really believe in yourself, then there isn't a magic formula and, and there isn't kind of... I'm not even, what I'm trying to say, it's not even that my books are amazing books. I think they are very good books, but I think there's, there's probably a lot of other writers who are writing equally as good books as mine, which aren't necessarily selling as well as mine. So there's, there's no magic formula for writing or for for marketing. I think you've just got to throw everything you've got at it and keep going until you get that, that slice of luck. And I want to congratulate you on your well-deserved success. I mean, you really do deserve it. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> grueling early story and a lot of risk, a lot of financial risk in that. Um, yeah. ju- just to finish off with, can you just tell us where we can find out more about you online? Because you do some great posts about, um, you know, about writing and, and the struggles you've mm-hmm. been through. Really interesting reading on there. Thank you. Yeah, my website is uh, robsinclairauthor.com. Uh, where, like I say, I've got a blog on there, which is probably not... I probably need to update it a little bit. I've been so busy writing four books this year. I haven't done as many vlogs as I should have done. Um, so that's my main website. You can find me on, on Facebook. Uh, it's R. Sinclair Author. If you search R. Sinclair Author. And it's the same on Twitter, R. Sinclair Author. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.